I was in the courtroom with evil. Known as the Doomsday Cult Mom found guilty of killing her two beautiful kids, J.J. Vallow and Tylee Ryan. Well, you know what? Inside the courtroom on the fourth floor at the Ada County Courthouse, it was almost a standing room only. And then cheers erupted out in front of the courthouse. This episode takes you behind the scenes of one of the most notorious trials, full of testimony about casting spells, prophets, gods, and goddesses, sex, and portals. But at the root of it, it was really about sex, greed, and power. And I, I feel like Lori was convinced those kids had turned into zombies. And so the whole thing is like, how can you even, you can't make, if this was a movie script, nobody would believe it. They wouldn't even go to the movie because it's so ridiculous. And it's, but it's real life. So buckle up for the Doomsday Cult Mom trial. Investigators, you're on deadline. From the Hollywood Hills to your ear holes, this is True Crime Deadline. A podcast discussing cold cases, murder mysteries, and completely random thoughts. Now, here's your host, a man who stands in front of crime scene tape and talks on the TV box for a living, Mr. Mystery himself, Matt Johnson. Investigators, welcome to Season 4, Episode 43, The Trial of Lori Vallow Daybell, a.k.a. the Doomsday Cult Mom. It's one of the most disturbing and bizarre cases I've ever covered, and I have covered it for years. This podcast, Law and Crime Network, and most recently there on the courthouse steps at Ada County for Court TV. It's a case that started back in September of 2019, when two beautiful children went missing, seven-year-old J.J. Vallow and his 17-year-old sister, Tylee Ryan. Their mom, Lori Vallow, refusing to cooperate with police. It started with two children missing. And I stood up and I said, where are the children? Where are the children? Where are the children? That's Larry Woodcock, JJ's grandfather, who I had the pleasure of speaking with at the courthouse steps each and every day. And you know what? He is just as nice as you see him on TV. So is Kay Woodcock, another very strong victim advocate. Um, we are elated with this. Uh, there was some doubt we would get all of them, all guilties, but we did it. Uh, our JJ now, maybe we can, maybe we can get him and put him to rest as well as Tylee. You recall it was their call to action that led to the welfare check back in 2019 and that nationwide search for the kids. In court, they were in tears at times, listening to the evidence. Facing cult mom who was just a few feet away. Outside the courthouse, though, there was dozens of supporters for them, cheering them on, just like Janine, who passed out wristbands. First, the wristbands were, where are the kids? And I was giving out shirts, where are the kids with their pictures on? And then it changed to justice for Tylee and JJ. And the wristbands are justice for Tylee and JJ and justice for Tylee, JJ and Charles. And I've handed them out wherever I've gone, whether it's been in... Southeast Idaho or Southwest Idaho or Salt Lake City, Utah, people are thrilled to receive them. Others were just hoping to see justice. It was a trial several years in the making, which included a change of venue to the college town of Boise, Idaho. I think anywhere they had the trial, she would be found guilty. Killing her own kids, that's just, my kids are my heart. And for her to kill her own kids and then bury them, that doesn't happen in Idaho. That doesn't happen in Boise. We have very low crime. 
Boise is a quaint little town. It looks like an updated movie set from the Western era. It's a lot of two-story brick buildings with the old Western vibe. And yes, everybody that I spoke with there, because I lived there for quite a while, it seems like everyone knew about the trial and they were following the case. They knew every detail that Lori had become obsessed with end times, twisting tales from the Bible and the Book of Mormon. And then she met prolific self-publishing author Chad Daybell at a conference, the one she still considers to be the prophet. And the belief system is, according to Chad Daybell, they are being called to gather 144,000 people to help with the second coming. Now, what does help mean? I don't know, because people are dying around them. Including JJ and Tylee, deemed dark spirits by Chad and Lori, and Tammy Daybell, Chad's first wife, and Lori's fourth husband, Charles Vallow, who she was married to when she met Chad. He too became a dark spirit named Ned, who happened to have a million dollar life insurance policy and was killed at the hands of Lori's brother, Alex Cox. Alex was described as the family hitman. He has since died, but she's been charged and Charles murdered as well, awaiting trial in Arizona. So what makes her a danger to herself and she's to others? She threatened me, murder me, kill me. She threatened to murder you? Yes. You don't know if she posed a threat to your children. I don't know what she's going to do with them. I don't know if she's going to flee with them. She's going to hurt them. On Cross, her surviving son, Colby Ryan, said that he was kept in the dark about all of the zombies and casting nonsense. Teach you about zombies? No. Did she teach you about casting out evil spirits? No. Did she teach you about light and dark scales? No. As a child, uh, did she teach you that she was a goddess? No. Did she teach you that she was a leader of the 144,000? No. That testimony actually proved the state's point that it wasn't about religion or beliefs. It was really all about money, sex, and power. Chad and Lori wanted to get rid of people that stood in their way, of their love affair, of being alone together, of the new life they wanted to create. And they also wanted money for that life through life insurance policies and the kids' welfare checks. Now, in court, there were no cameras, but I got a good look at Colt Mom. At times, she would stare at me. She would stare and look over at the Woodcocks and sometimes stare down the witness on the stand or even laugh at them. Court TV crime and justice correspondent Matt Johnson standing by live outside of the courthouse for us. Matt. Uh, she keeps her arms crossed when it's something that she doesn't like to hear. Sometimes even in front of the jury, she'll giggle about the witness that's on the stand. Then there was this time that she looked like she was crying when the state showed pictures of her kids' graves. What's your reaction to Lori wiping away tears? Oh, fake. <laughs> that was my first... Well, it looked like she was kind of making a spectacle to get her attorneys to grab the Kleenexes. Like, like look at me, I need Kleenexes. And then, and then, yeah, I think it's all for show. If she was wiping anything, it was fake tears. People from around the country flocked to the courthouse trying to get a ticket inside to see Colt Mom for themselves. But you know who was absent? For the most part, Lori's family. So um, Lori is my cousin. My dad is Janice's younger brother. And, um, you know, Lori and Summer and I spent a lot of time growing up together, spending 
you know, spending time together in the summers. That's Lori's cousin, Megan Eden. She doesn't do many interviews, but I recently had the pleasure of talking to her about Lori and her family. And I, uh, what's the last time that you spoke with Lori? I, I take it it's been a while? Yeah, it's been several years. Um, she used to do my hair when she was still living in Austin, um, and we sort of fell out of touch after that. Summer and I kept in touch on social media for for a long time, for a lot of years, and, and we sort of uh, lost touch through this whole process and um, haven't really spoken to much of that side of the family since all of this started unfolding. I, I imagine that it's been tough on you and the rest of the family. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 heartbreaking for all of us. I can only speak for myself, but I, you know, I've, I've seen and heard comments from other family members. All of us are having a really hard time wrapping our brains around it. And I think we're all dealing with it in different ways. And I would imagine it's also tough because it's such a high profile case and involving children and, and such, you know, it's just awful all the way around. So I'm sure that there's lots of speculation. I'm sure that you're inundated with people trying to reach out. Uh, what has that been like for you? When this all first started and, and there was a lot of speculation um, going on, that that was why I really turned off the media and the reports and the Netflix specials and all that stuff, Dateline, and didn't really watch a whole lot of that because at the time it was speculation. You know, we none of us really knew exactly what was going on and, and Lori herself was cut off from her own family and, and none of them really were aware of what was going on. So um, we all were you know, trying to piece things together in our own way. And I, and I didn't pay attention to the media coverage at that point because it was, it made it harder for me to, to process everything. Um, once the children were found though, it was, it started to become very clear what was fact and what was fiction pretty quickly. And, um, you know, different family members would text me different things to read or watch or listen to. And that was a little bit helpful to sort of understand what was going on. You know, I, I'm really, I'm watching the trial now to sort of fill in the gaps of, of the things that I don't understand yet and try to make sense of it. Um, so that my main reason for watching the trials, because I wanted to hear the facts and not just listen to speculation in the news. Have you learned anything? Um, by listening or watching the trial coverage? Yeah, and I'm I'm listening, I'm really listening to just the audio of the trial for the most part to, to listen to the witnesses and not listen to too much commentary on what other people think of the witnesses and all of that. And and yeah, I mean, it, it has been helpful to fill in gaps of things that I didn't know or understand before, but I think there's still a lot of unanswered questions and things we probably will never really know the answers to. That part is, is kind of tough. And, and of course, it's heartbreaking to to hear the details of, you know, of, of what really happened to the kids and um, what part different people have played in that. And uh, it's been awful to hear, um, you know, Colby and Summer testify and, and to hear their calls to Lori and how, how heartbreaking all of that is. It's just incredibly difficult um, to have this be part of your family story. I'm sorry. And I'm sorry for your loss, for your family. You've lost several people. Thank you. Any desire to be there in in Idaho? Um, I just don't, I can't see how that would be helpful or healthy for me at this point. Um, I, yeah, I just don't, I don't see how sitting in the courtroom um, would really be helpful. Uh, I, I'm fine where I am, where I've got my support system here, my network of people here, my chosen family here. And, um, 
you know, they're sort of helping me process through it here. So I'm grateful that, uh, that we're able to have the court audio so that I don't have to be there. Um, I just think it's better for me to be here. Any indication of who might be supporting Lori, supporting her or supporting her there in Boise? Um, a f- another family member told me that she is having weekly Zoom calls with her parents and um, possibly some other family members. So I think that she's in touch. As far as in the courtroom, I know my uncle was there yesterday with his daughters and of course, Summer was there. So, you know, I, I echo the se- sentiment that that Rex expressed yesterday that we're we're all anxious for justice to be served, whatever that looks like. And it's hard for me to say what um, what I think that should be. I'm glad that, that, that I'm not the one who has to make that choice. Was there a, a change in Lori that was noticeable for people? And when was that? I've heard other family members comment. Um, again, I wasn't there, but um, I've heard other family members say that around 2018, she started listening to podcasts and reading books that were sort of outside the mainstream religion. And that seemed to be when the change started to take place. Um, and I know that she met Chad after the after that started happening. So how was the family handling the call for action? You know, where are the children when we didn't have answers when they were missing? I can only speak for myself there, obviously, because I wasn't with the other part of the family. But for me personally, you know, I, I would post things on Facebook asking for help, asking people to come forward if they've seen or, or heard something. And there were some family members who believed that Lori was not involved in their disappearance or believed that she was protecting the children somehow. And I got blocked from some of my family members on social media, um, I think because of my activism and trying to find the kids. Um, so there was kind of this... You know, there there were two sides to it of people who wanted to protect and defend Lori's reputation. And, um, you know, those of us who didn't really care about the reputation, we just wanted the kids found, you know. Yeah, understandable. And um, we're hearing testimony. This trial isn't involving the death of Charles Vallow. We're hearing testimony about him, and I've asked um, Larry and Kay about him. Is there anything else that you can share about him or any of... Uh, Lori's other husbands. We don't know a lot about them either. Yeah, I really, I only interacted with uh, Joe a couple of times. I, I only met Charles one time, so I I can't really speak to that. I do know that um, by all accounts that, that Charles really loved Lori very deeply and, and cared about her very deeply. By all accounts, he was just, he was a great guy and, and a loving father. So when he was killed, there there definitely was a split of people in the family who believed that it was definitely self-defense. And then there were some of us who absolutely did not believe that at all. And I was one of those. And and so there was sort of that division about, you know, who who believed whom and who was protecting whom and all of that was, it was, that part was pretty difficult for all of us, I think. That must have been really a division in the family. That must have been really tough. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, um, I think, the hardest on Adam because he, he Charles had reached out to him for help and, and, he tried to advocate for Charles and, um, you know, Barry and Janice were very dismissive of his advocacy and basically told him to get out of the house. So that, you know, that's a pretty stunning, difficult thing to, to have your your own parents get rid of you because you, you know, tried to advocate for somebody who needed to help. 
What can you tell us about the other brother, Alex? He's uh, weaved in this trial so much, and you're talking about, you know, his belief system, believing Lori. Is he, was he always like that with her? And uh, there's been allegations that they had a weird relationship in other regards. Uh, what can you share about him? Well, I, just in regards to the, the allegations about their weird, weird relationship, I can just confirm that um, there was a lot of inappropriate lack of boundaries in the family around sexuality. And so I can just say that, you know, I don't think that it, it was just uh, it was just a lack of boundaries in the family that was, that you know, perpetuated by the parents that that I think were you know, pretty awful. Um, but as far as Alex and his personality, I mean, you know, when he lived here in San Antonio, he and I were relatively close and, and hung out from time to time. He was always super funny. Um, but there again, nothing was off limits. So, you know, whether it was, you know, a, a stupid mistake that you made or your worst traumatic nightmare, he was, it was all fair game for, for Alex to joke about. And it, you know, there was a lot of, um, you know, dysfunction where that's concerned too. So are you able to elaborate any more on like their behavior that you've noticed or that you know about? Um, you mean Lori and Alex's yeah. behavior behavior? I didn't really observe them together that much. Um, you know, when I spent time with Lori, it was me, Lori and Summer. Um, I briefly lived with uh Lori and Adam in Austin for a little while and then when Alex lived in San Antonio, um, Lori was kind of in and out between Austin and Del Rio and here. So we didn't, I didn't really see them together that much as adults. So, so I can't me, really. Yeah. Um, thank you. And I appreciate that. So then tell me more about Lori. What do we not know? I, I mean, it, was she a good mother at one point? I mean, that's how Colby kind of described her is that he's grieving the mom that he thought she was. And what can you share about Lori? I think she really wanted to be a good mother. Um, but it's also the sort of thing where, you know, there was a veneer of goodness and, and light and sunshine and happiness. And I think underneath that was a lot of dysfunction and a lot of, um, you know, mental illness, I think personally. And that, again, I'm not an, I'm not an expert, but I will just say that in my experience dealing with people who are, who have similar personality types, I can say that, you know, there, there are two sides to that. You know, one side is the public face that you put on and the other side is, um, you know, what you portray to everybody else. And in my experiences with Lori, um, you know, things were great and fine and wonderful unless you disagreed with her or unless you got on her bad side. And then, you know, she would, she would lash out and, and she would get her way no matter what. She was the golden child of the family. Wow. Um, she was also on Wheel of Fortune. She was in a, at least one pageant that I know of. Was she a attention seeker? Did she like the camera? I mean, yeah, she did. I mean, she she loved to have her picture taken. She loved to get attention in, in every possible form. And I think there's a lot about the family dynamic that explains why she behaved that way. Um, you know, I think she she was showered with attention in the family because she sort of met the ideal of the beautiful blonde cheerleader. And, uh, you know, she was that that part of her was you know, her parents value very much value physical appearance and attractiveness and personality and all of that. So um, definitely she would want to enhance that part of her life so that she could feel loved and accepted. Because, you know, I've seen her in court and like with Melanie Gibb, she was kind of giggling and and smirking when she was walking, when Melanie was walking out. And then she's laser focused on Melanie's husband, David Warwick. 
things like that. Um, and then we've all seen the videos of her smiling in cop cars. Is that a changed Lori for you or is that kind of how she was? No, that's that that's definitely on brand. You know, it's she she loved attention. And, and even now she's getting a lot of negative attention. But, you know, attention is attention, I think, to her. And she I think from what I've heard from, you know, some other family members, too, that that she's enjoying being in the spotlight to some degree and knowing that her story is the most important one or thinking that anyway. Lori's dad, Barry Cox. I have just been learning a little bit more about him. Um, what can you share about that part of the family dynamic and Lori's upbringing? I think that Barry's personality had a huge impact on everybody in the family. Um, he definitely was the your classic patriarch. He loved to pontificate, to quote scripture, you know, to tell us his thoughts and opinions on everything. And for a while there, I was part of a family email chain where he would send these super long emails commenting on politics and, um, you know, how it tied in with religion and all those kinds of things. So I think his his opinions were probably very important to Lori. And, um, you know, certainly any daughter wants to have love and acceptance from their father. So um, I can understand some of her personality traits come from that desire to be acceptable to her dad. And what was the lower 95 concept, if I'm getting that right? Yeah, I mean, he he commented, Barry commented all the time about how um, 95% of the population are stupid, sheep, you know, un, unattractive, uncreative minds, and that we, our family, we're in, we're in the upper 5%. We're more intelligent than everyone. We're smarter than everybody. We're, you know, better looking than everybody. And, um, you know, just by virtue of the fact that that we just are. There is no justification for it, we just are. <laughs> so, I mean, it was, it's troubling, it's funny and it's sad, right? I mean, that, that mentality, you don't wanna really believe that somebody thinks that way, but clearly through his actions, he believed he was above the law. He believed that he could get away with almost anything and, um, you know, ended up serving prison time and has been under investigation for sexual abuse. And so obviously, um, some of it's hopefully catching up with him now. Prison time, was it uh, tax evasion? What was it for? That's right, tax evasion. Is there anything else that I haven't asked you that you'd really like to share about this experience, about your family, about Lori? I know you don't do a lot of interviews and I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I don't. And I think the main thing is that I'm not trying to... Um, justify Lori's actions. I really want to help people understand that I think this entire situation was caused by a harmful family dynamic that was also mixed with um, unhealthy religious beliefs that were mixed with outlandish religious beliefs. And um, I really want to prevent things like this from happening again by helping to call attention to the fact that unhealed adults are going to hurt people. And it's our responsibility as adults to go and get our unmet emotional needs taken care of through therapy and counseling and all those kinds of things, because that's why we end up in places like this. Um, you know, generational trauma continues, the cycle continues until somebody decides to break it. And to me, that's the most important thing is to call awareness to that and to help people understand that. Special thanks to all of the true crime fans that came up and said hello when I was there in Idaho. Thank you, 
thanks for Megan for doing that interview as well. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the case, I have information in my show notes and some links. I also post photos and videos on my website, truecrimedeadline.com, YouTube, and social media accounts under the same name. Give it a follow. Now, you can also listen to the trial on courttv.com. Investigators, until next time. Thank you for investigating True Crime Deadline with Matt Johnson. For more information about the podcast, visit truecrimedeadline.com. And remember, all tips regarding a case should go to the police. Until next time. Now a post-episode shout-out to an investigator who wrote a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you. This one comes from Cats Love Candy. I'm sure they do. It's titled... Professional and warm, great combo. She writes, I'm sure it's difficult to strike the right balance between your professionalism as a reporter and being completely relatable to both your audience and the crime victims, relatives of crime victims, and the missing, etc., who you're interviewing. Matt Johnson does a great job of making that look natural, easy to listen to. Thank you. And thank you, Cats Love Candy. I, I do it for you guys. I really do. Again, writing reviews really helps independent podcasts like this one get noticed. We're up against networks and studios and TV channels. It's quite a lot. But it's easy. It's free. Hit five star. Please subscribe. Maybe tell a friend. Or write a review like Cats Love Candy did. Include your real name and your podcast name if you're a podcaster. I'll give you a shout out for that as well. Investigators, again, thank you for joining me for this limited season four. Until next time.